Pastor Xavier Reese explains the key to the door to life. Jesus proclaims that he is the door of the sheep, verse 7. Now doors give you access, doors protect you, doors keep people in and certain people out. If you don't have doors in your house, you don't sleep that peaceful. So doors are important. This door, let me suggest to you, is of the greatest importance of your entire life. You miss this door, you missed eternity. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Shepherds out on the hillsides in biblical times often would protect their flocks at night by using sheepfolds having walls but no doors. But by lying in the doorway, the shepherd literally became the door himself. Likewise, Pastor Xavier explains how Jesus is the door through whom entrance to God's kingdom becomes possible. It's a simple truth he illustrates for us today in a message entitled, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep. John chapter 10, verse 1 through 21. I've entitled the message, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep. It has been said that there is none so blind as those who will not see. The statement is a charge to all of mankind who for whatever reason they choose to reject, ignore, or disregard evidence or proof that would enable them to make a right decision. Such has been the proclamation of Jesus regarding the Pharisees as to their spiritual blindness in contrast to the blind men that he had healed. This is the backdrop to the discourse of the Good Shepherd. The Pharisees were offended at Jesus because he told them that they were spiritually blind and their answer was one of sarcasm. Are we blind also? Chapter 9, verse 40. And Jesus proceeded to tell them that if they were blind, they would not have sinned, but now they say we see and therefore their sin remained in them. In other words, the man who was blind was better off because he couldn't see the evidence. But they who could see were rejecting the very evidence. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the works that have been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. Judgment is always according to the measure of light that you and I possess. To those that much is given, much is required. And maybe that's why many people don't go to church, because they know that. This is what prompted the discourse of the Good Shepherd, and it's characterized by three things. But before I give you the three things, let me read the text for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, 
but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. And Jesus said, used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and here and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The discourse of the Good Shepherd is prompted by the healing and the salvation of the blind man, and it's characterized by three things. Real simple. One, the proclamation, verses 1 through 6. Two, the interpretation, verse 7 through 13. And three, the application, verse 14 through 21. Let's look at the proclamation. Notice first the connection between the previous chapter and this one is unmistakable. Though we've said it, let me show you some things. The Jews had excommunicated the blind man from the temple for his witness regarding Jesus, that he had healed him. And they condemned him, saying that he was born of sin, and rebuked him because he attempted to teach them. Chapter 9, verse 34 and 35. Also, Jesus sought out the blind man, as he heard. He revealed himself and brought him to the point of worship, accepting him as Messiah. Verse 35 through 38. Then thirdly, Jesus proclaimed this to be the very purpose for which he had come into the world for, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Verse 39, interesting phrase. The judgment there is the result of each individual's decision regarding Jesus. God is not at fault or responsible for a person's spiritual blindness. Understand that. You determine whether you reject or accept Jesus, and that choice will allow you to be able to see God's will and what he desires for you, or it will blind you even in greater darkness because of the amount of evidence that's been given to you. But also Jesus responds to their sarcasm and their question of sarcasm of being blind, that their sin remained in them because 
Though they had physical lies, they refused to acknowledge the evidence that was given to them. And so once again, the awesome understanding, and we get that in verse 40 and 41 of 9. The awesome understanding that the longer you sit in this church or any church that teaches the word of God, the more you're responsible for what you hear. I mean, we do that as parents to our children, right? We chasten and discipline them according to the age and the knowledge that they have about what we desire out of them. And when they don't follow through, they have consequences, right? Now, let's give God a break. <laughs> if we do that as parents, the lessons from the lesser to the greater, right? Now, notice, secondly, the common pattern of the miracles or events followed by a discourse is also unmistakable. Because remember, we interpret always that we have a message and we're dealing with this message, but we want to see in the light of the whole of the book of John, right? It's got to make sense, right? So we see this pattern. It's unmistakable. Let me run you through some. Jesus cleansed the temple in chapter 2 at the end. And what followed that? The discourse with Nicodemus. You must be born again. Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria in chapter 4. And then his disciples came back and he gave a discourse to who? His disciples about what? About the harvest. It was white. Chapter 4, verse 33 to 38. Jesus healed a paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda. And therefore they sought to kill him, the Jews. And then he gave the discourse to them of the one sent from the Father to do the works of the Father. And he gave the fourfold witness of John the Baptist, the works of the Father, the Scriptures, and Moses. John 5, 16 through 47. And then Jesus fed the multitudes, and the following day, he gave a discourse to the crowds who followed him. And he says, you guys don't follow me because you are Messiah. You follow me because you got fed yesterday. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 14, verse 22 through 27. Then Jesus forgave the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And then he gave a discourse about the valid witness of his own person in the treasury of the temple in chapter 8, verse 13 through 59. Jesus healed a blind man, and now he gives a discourse to the Pharisees, verse 1 through 21. Do you see the pattern? Always. Now, there's one more thing in the proclamation. The cultural setting is also unmistakable. Notice verse 1 through 6. In verse 1, the sheepfold was a common place where various sheep were kept for the night, be it in a town or another place. And you had many sheep from different shepherds, and they were kept in a common corral for the night. But notice also that the proper entrance was one door. Thieves and robbers do not usually enter the door. They use another way. When somebody wants to break into your house, they don't come in the front door. Not usually. If there's a big bush and nobody can see them in the front, they might. But they come to the back door, windows, down chimneys, through cellars, but usually not front doors. Notice also in verse 2, the shepherd of the sheep enters by the door. Why? Because he has access. He's rifle owner. And then fourthly, in verse 3, the doorkeeper was the one responsible for caring for the sheep till the shepherd came to lead and to call them out by name. Notice in verse 4 and 5 that the shepherd is known as the owner by three things. He brings the sheep out and he calls them by name. Secondly, he goes before them. He leads them. He does not drive them. A shepherd does not drive the sheep. There's lambs. But he leads them. And thirdly, his sheep follow him for they know his voice. When they hear his voice, boy, they hear it. 
You ever remember being lost when you were a little kid? Or you ever see a little kid in the store? You know, big people, and you're down here, and you can't see nobody, and all of a sudden you turn around, your mom and dad's not there. And you go, Mom! Dad! And the mom and dad, though he can't see them, when they cry out, he discerns the voice, and he becomes comforted. The father doesn't say, here I am, changes his voice to deceive him. No, he gives his voice. Kid picks it up, knows the voice. I presume you all have had dogs or have one. You know your voice, right? Let's give God a break in the sheep. <laughs> His sheep will not follow a stranger. They will flee from the stranger. They don't know the voice of the stranger. Notice the proclamation is of great importance. Verse 1, the first portion, declares it. The phrase most assuredly appears 25 times in John. We've mentioned that before. Pretty important phrase in John. We should find out what it means. It means amen. Amen. Affirming the importance of what is going to be said beforehand in order to what? To pay heed. Whenever you hear, I don't know what translation you have, verily, verily, uh, truly, truly, um, uh, surely I say to you, whatever it may be, you might as well say, listen up. Words of great importance. Take heed. The authority is of Jesus. He says, I say to you. This is what blew the Pharisees' mind all the time. They all say, well, Rabbi Akiba, well, Moses said, well, the law says, well, God said. Jesus says, I say to you. <laughs> they blew their minds. He didn't quote Moses. He didn't quote the religious men of the past. He did not quote the religious men of the present. He simply said, I say to you. That implied that he believed he had authority. They always ask him, by what authority, whose name are you doing this? By what power and authority? Power means the means by which to do it. Authority means by whose name, whose permission. He said, I say to you. <laughs> Notice the proclamation is not a parable. The word illustration is not the word for parable. Parable is parabole, which parable means we get from parallel, alongside, and boldly to throw. So throw something alongside. So a parable is, is taking something common, like the sower went out to sow seed, taking a common phrase and knowing what it, what, what it is, so putting that next to it, and then putting what you don't know next to it, and then knowing what you know, you'll know what you don't know. That's what a parable is. Okay? So this you understand, but this you don't understand. So you put it side by side, and in, non, in understanding this, you'll understand this. Because there's a comparison, there's a simile, okay? That's what a parable is. Now, the word here is paramia, which means a wayside saying, literally, from alongside and the way. A parable is an extended metaphor. A metaphor is like the church is the bride of Christ, okay? Given us figurative language for something that's literal. Now, an allegory is the use of prolonged metaphors or types with greater detail, as we have here, in figurative language. The word appears five times in the New Testament, four of which are found here in John. This is the way they're translated, one time in 2 Peter 2.22. In John 16, 25 and 29, it's translated figurative language and figure of speech. And in 2 Peter, it's translated proverb. This is an allegory, a wayside saying, it's not a parable. Now, the outcome was that the Pharisees did not understand the things he spoke to them about. 
Verse 6 tells us that. But we must relate it back to what has happened, the blind man. The use of figurative language was used by Jesus often, be it in parables, similes. Similes are like, uh, you know, you are as a deer. It's always introduced by the word as or like. That's a simile. A metaphor is uh, using figurative language for one thing to replace the other. The church of Christ is the bride of Christ. That's a metaphor. You have allegories, which are a little more detailed and they're used in more figurative and typology. But it was used by Jesus to enhance understanding and illumination. You see, when they got to the place where they no longer accepted the words of Jesus, they rejected him. So Jesus sought out figurative language that in their curiosity, they might come around and say, oh, now I see. But when reject the extra effort that God goes out of his way to have you receive the light and the truth of Scripture, then the result is greater darkness because of the greater privilege. So it has a twofold effect, the parables, okay? And you get that in Matthew eleven twenty five and Matthew 13, 14, and 15. Now, this is the proclamation of Jesus to the Pharisees in view of their spiritual blindness. He has not interpreted anything. He's given a proclamation to catch their attention because of what's happened, all right? Now he moves to give us the interpretation. The theme is what? Verse 9 and 10, salvation. I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastors. And he goes on to speak about came to give them life and life more abundantly. Salvation is the theme. What has happened to the blind man? He's been saved. Now, there is a simple pattern the Lord's teaching that I believe makes the discourse very clear and understandable. It is simply this. It is the outline itself. Jesus always proclaimed truth first. He proclaimed it. Then what did he do? He interpreted it. And then what did he do? He applied it. Now, sometimes the interpretation is left out. But there's that pattern there. This is what we find right here. Now, there is literal and figurative language mixed in the discourse. So we need to be good students to observe and to see when it's figurative and see if it's given a meaning within the text. And we take what is given. And once we take that, then we see what's left and then we can make sense out of it. It's very important. Notice, secondly, the interpretation is provided by Jesus again. He declares that he is the door of the sheep, verse 7. Jesus is talking to who? The Pharisees. Them. The pronoun refers back to the Pharisees, not his disciples. Jesus once again qualifies the importance of the authority. I say to you, most assuredly, pay heed. Jesus proclaims the third I am. Verse 7, verse 9. I am the door. Now doors give you access. Doors protect you. Doors keep people in and certain people out, doors are kind of neat. If you don't have doors in your house, you don't sleep that peaceful, especially in Southern California. So doors are important. This door, let me suggest to you, is of the greatest importance of your entire life. You miss this door, you've missed eternity. The shepherds, out in the wilderness, would corral the sheep in, whether it be in a cave or some kind of ravine. And then in the small opening, they would lay across the opening and sleep, and they would become the literal door of the sheep. 
That if any sheep wanted to leave that night, he would have to go over the shepherd and he would awaken. If the wolf wanted to come in, he would have to come through and over the shepherd. Literally, the shepherd would lay his life on the line. Now notice he declares that all whoever came before him are thieves and robbers in verse 8. Now, if Jesus is the door and there is only one door to the sheepfold, then we are safe to assume that he is referring to all who have had access to the sheep of Israel apart from hope in him, the promised Messiah. He's the door, right? Because certainly he's not talking about Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and all them. But he's talking about those who have tried to take possession of God's sheep without leading them to the promised Messiah, the door. That's what he's talking about. The Pharisees have rejected him as the Messiah, the door. Now, notice closely, though the statement certainly applies to all of the past individuals up to the present when he spoke, who did not lead by way of Messiah, it seems to limit the phrase to the religious men of his day. You say, how can you say that, X? Look, the present tense, are. He doesn't say were, but are. Who's he talking to? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were not making use of the door to salvation. They were thieves and robbers. So the sheep did not hear them. The blind man, good example. Okay? Let's put it in this context. Notice also the Pharisees and others who were rejecting Jesus were those who did not have the right to the sheep. Very, very important. They had no access to the sheep. Now, I have access to my children. I discipline them, but nobody else does. And you know if somebody steps in to try to discipline your child, boy, your hair on the back of your head stands up. Right? They're not theirs. The word thief implies subtlety and trickery. The word robber connotes violence and plundering. The word for robbers is used of Barabbas, who was freed by Pilate instead of Jesus. Ooh, he's calling the Pharisees Barabbas types? Yep. Hmm. He declares that he is the door to salvation, verse 9, very plainly. Now he defines it. It's good to define a door, because you don't know what's behind that door. You want to open a door, it might be a lion, right? You want to make sure that the door leads to the place you're going. This door leads to salvation. That's good news. Jesus already said that he was the door of the sheepfold for Israel there, verse 7. Jesus now defines the purpose of the door. And again, what? Namely, salvation. Jesus describes the quality of salvation in two ways, though. He's not just uh, satisfied and saying salvation, but he, he, he describes it. He says the person will be saved from the judgment of God's wrath for their sins. That's what salvation is through the scriptures. The paralytic was told to sin no more. That's the worst thing come upon him. Chapter 5, verse 14. The adulterous woman heard the words, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 8, 11. Rightly so. For Jesus is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. He is the light of the world. John 1, 9, 8, 12, and 9, 5. That we might be open to the light of God that it would dispel the darkness and allow us to see our spiritual condition for what we really are and to see how far we're removed from the light of God and how far we'll be removed in eternity and darkness if we don't come through that door. 
heavy message, but so simple, so straightforward. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up for us the simple truths how Jesus the shepherd provides not only a means of protection for his sheep, but is also the door leading to eternity for all who will follow. And we've only heard the first half of this study, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep. So if you've missed any part of the presentation today, it's available on CD for just $4. And without the time limits necessary for broadcasting, you'll be able to enjoy the full uncut message anytime and at your own pace. You know, these are a handy way to pass along this teaching to others you know too. All you have to do is contact us with either today's date or ask for it by name, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep. When you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. That enables us to track where our radio outreach has been a ministry to our listening friends. And thank you for your help. Scripture says, with God on our side, who can be against us? Next time, Pastor Xavier notes it all comes down to the simple truth. Will you be on God's side? Hope you'll be there. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com